0: Everybody had a piece of the action. And really, what I was trying to do was create an organization that didn't work top down, but worked laterally or bottom up.
1: Welcome to Management Matters, a National Academy of Public Administration podcast where policy meets practice. I'm Terry Gerton, president of the Academy. On this episode, I'll discuss the role of counties in executing elections with my guest, Anthony Griffin. Tony is an Academy Fellow and the former County Executive for Fairfax County, Virginia. Tony, thanks so much for joining me today.
0: I'm pleased to be here.
1: Well, you've had a long and impressive career in public service, 23 years in Fairfax, Virginia, including 10 years as the Deputy County Executive and 13 years as the County Executive what drew you to public service?
0: I think it was probably uh, my family. My mother was a teacher. My father worked in public service for a number of years and uh, worked for the Veterans Administration. And uh, my brother was a career officer in the Navy. I kind of grew up in a public service-oriented family and uh, never really occurred to me that I wanted to be uh, entrepreneurial. Well,
1: and you yourself joined the Marine Corps, right?
0: I did with a little bit of urging. Uh, When I graduated in 1968, the original draft was still in effect, and my draft board had indicated that I should not plan on going uh, to graduate school. I was actually thinking of law school because uh, they said they were going to draft me. So uh, I instead looked at my options uh, in terms of military service and ultimately enlisted in the Marine Corps to go to officer candidate school.
1: Well, thank you for your service and thank you for serving it at that time. How did you get from the Marine Corps to Fairfax County?
0: When I got out of the service, I looked again at the idea of going to law school. And at that time, law school seemed quite popular. There were a lot of people wanting to go to law school, in part, and a very positive occurrence, in my opinion, was that the number of women were now being attracted to the law and going to law school, including my wife, who I did not know at the time, but who had enrolled in uh, Cornell Law School. I, in essence, did an inventory of my interests and what I thought my skill set was at that point. I was only 24 and concluded that public service and particularly uh, service at the local government level was most appealing. To verify whether that was true or not, I did multiple interviews with folks like the county manager of Arlington and the deputy uh, county executive in Fairfax County city manager in Alexandria to get a feel for what the profession was like and whether that uh, would be a good fit for me. Concluding that it probably was, they all advised that I really needed to go to graduate school and get my master's degree. And with that in mind, and with not much money in my pocket, I applied to Virginia Tech. Interestingly enough, at that point in time, there was no MPA program in the state of Virginia. The closest thing to it was a Master of Urban Affairs with various concentrations at Virginia Tech. So I enrolled at Tech, got a Master in Urban Affairs with a concentration in urban management, and then parlayed that also into a Master's of Urban and Regional Planning. I had to do an internship for my uh, second master's degree, went back to the county manager in Arlington and in essence, wrote him a letter and said, I don't know if you remember me or not, but uh, you were gracious to give me uh, an hour of your time. And I have followed your advice. I have gone back to school. I've gotten one degree and I'm required to do an internship to finish the second one and wondered whether Arlington had an internship. Mm -hmm. He wrote back fairly promptly and said he did remember me and that when I was on spring break to uh, stop by his office, which I did, And it was quite clear within moments that that he had set up an internship for me in the county manager's office in Arlington. I did the internship at the end of the summer, was preparing to leave, thinking the internship was up and I was told to stick around. And unbeknownst to me, there was a vacancy coming up in the manager's office. They had me go through what was then their certification process. I had to actually take a written exam, do some interviews, but in essence that started my career as a, an administrative aide was the title of the position at the time. I went through two promotions uh, over the next four years and in essence became the the title didn't indicate it, but essentially I was the number two person in the office. Did that for a year and then my boss unfortunately had to part ways with the county and he named me county manager on an acting basis. The board then ratified that, and I did an acting stint in Arlington for uh, 13 months. It sort of took my career from there. Spent six years in the City of Falls Church as city manager after eight years in Arlington, and then moved on to Fairfax for uh, 23 years.
1: Well, that's a great lesson for our rising public administrators. You never know when that conversation that you thought was just a passing one is going to have an impact and how important it can be to that entree back into the local levels of public administration and city and county leadership.
0: I was quite fortunate, but I had been encouraged to make contacts, talk to people, and make sure to follow up on those contacts. And that, that worked out pretty well for me.
1: You know, I love your story, and I think county managers are among the most critical but underappreciated leaders in our government system. And I know Arlington, I live there now, and I know Fairfax, I used to live there. And it's one of the largest, wealthiest, most diverse counties in the country. So talk a little bit about your biggest challenges in leading that really complicated county for over a decade.
0: Well, in some ways, it wasn't that challenging because Fairfax, uh, when I joined them and subsequently, uh, was a pretty professional organization, a lot of hardworking people and a lot of resources to back them up. And for a period of time, particularly during the 80s, Fairfax staff pretty much uh, grew in, in response to the growth in the population and pretty much had the resources that they needed to accomplish what they were doing. The challenges, I think, uh, initially for me as a deputy for planning and development, is in uh, the early 1990s, the SNL collapse caused a uh, huge hit on uh, construction in Fairfax County. And we had a Department of Environmental Management that was essentially the agency that oversaw all construction in the county. And uh, it had 600 staff and 100 contractors in order to facilitate the construction that was going on. It was an agency that is, in essence, paid for by the fees for inspections, plan review, et cetera. Well, construction suddenly stopped, and I ended up having to uh, reduce the agency from 700 to 300. Mm. And that was sort of a wake-up call, and it was probably an introduction to me for the need of making sure that you had a strong organization strong management and a common language. When I subsequently became county executive, one of the things I looked to do was create that common language. I worked with uh, the Senior Executive Institute at the University of Virginia, Uh and in essence had their staff come to the county and put senior staff through um, essentially organizational and management development classes. Uh, The primary purpose is to make sure we all spoke the same language. Fairfax County, when I came to it, was very much a siloed, top-down kind of organization. And that, at the time, worked well, and it was typical of what you would find in any large local government. It was what was in Arlington, on a much smaller scale what was in Falls Church and I'm sure in many communities. But what we were finding is that when we had to downsize and be more aware of our resources and how we use them is that many of the problems we were starting to deal with didn't fall simply within one silo or one department. Environment is a classic example. I don't think... Folks paid a whole lot of attention to the environment or environmental issues the way we do today, but that was starting to happen in the 90s and certainly the 2000s. The reality is we didn't have a department in Fairfax County that was environmentally focused, but we had a number of agencies that had a piece of the environmental picture, whether it be the fire department when they were doing cleanup environmental spills or public works or transportation, or even the police department in terms of law enforcement, everybody had a piece of the action. And really what I was trying to do was create an organization that didn't work top-down, but worked laterally or bottom-up. That's probably what I'm most proud of in terms of my tenure with the county was trying to create an organization that was flexible and had the ability to deal with issues irrespective of what the issue was. And to do it in a way that we maximized our resources and, and minimized duplication. And so we, we had a lot of committees or task forces that were very diverse, not just in terms of typical diversity question, but also in terms of skill set. Mm-hmm. So that uh, we could answer the questions that the Board of Supervisors was posing based on the challenges that uh, were starting to occur in the late 90s and the early 2000s. It turned out to be very valuable when it came time, for example, um, working our way through the so-called Great Recession. Mm -hmm. We ended up doing everything we've always done, even though we significantly reduced the number of people we had and the dollars that were available. But we did it because we were positioned uh, as an organization to be able to take on those tasks and figure out the best way to do it. And so that's to the extent I have a legacy. That's what I would claim. We obviously built a lot of things, did a lot of things. And in terms of emergency management, I worked my way through 9-11 and anthrax and Mm -hmm. floods or Hurricane Agnes and even an earthquake. But it's all dependent on the capability of the organization. And I was fortunate to work with a lot of really fine people. And together, we were able to, I think, move Fairfax County forward. It It had a good foundation. It was a AAA organization when I inherited it. It's still a AAA organization. I mean, it it has the values. They get moved forward with changing times. But what I'm proud of is to be able to sustain Fairfax County's reputation.
1: You know, what I was hearing as you were talking was almost a 10-year cycle of resource challenges and then organizational sort of realignment that builds stronger, more flexible organizations. And those are great lessons for County managers today who are really dealing with the economic challenges of COVID and public health and resource constraints, both economic and tax revenue-based, they're making some of the similar sorts of decisions that you've been making all along. So it's great to hear the lessons that you learned and the achievements that you've got there in Fairfax County, especially that responsive, flexible organization. We love that agile response to governing crises, right?
0: Right. Well, it's hard to be agile with 12,000 people, but (laughs) I think we were able to do it.
1: Well, speaking of agility, we've got a real challenge ahead of us. Election Day is rapidly approaching. And, you know, one of the Academy's 12 grand challenges is protect electoral integrity and enhance voter participation. This feels like it's going to be a really challenging one, but counties sit at the center of election administration in our country. So tell us a little bit about the role of county managers and counties or what they're thinking about coming into November for this election.
0: As county executive, my role in in terms of elections was primarily a logistical one. Policy in terms of elections is determined by the state legislature and enforced by the state board of elections, uh, which in turn provides the regulations which the Fairfax County Board of Elections operates under. But uh, in terms of the county organization, they're known as the Office of Elections, and they are in the county budget. Their permanent personnel are budgeted. In uh, Virginia, there's an election at least once every year, maybe more if there are primaries involved. But in the state of Virginia, the state elections are in the off year from the federal elections. So this year, the ballot has, of course, the presidential election, but in Virginia, we also have a senator. We've got the local uh, representatives, uh, the U.S. representatives. In Fairfax County this year, also, there's four ballot questions from the county, all related to approving bonds for uh, construction. The logistical support that I would be responsible for is making sure that they have a place in the budget, they get the appropriation they need. I don't recall ever quibbling very much about how much they asked for. When there's not an election, there's a pretty lean staff and that the primary focus in the office is to register voters, which is done a variety of ways, either People showing up in person by mail or Department of Motor Vehicles will automatically register you if you're new to the state and uh, getting a license. But getting ready for an election, for example, this upcoming election in Fairfax County, they recruited probably about 4,000 volunteers to be election officers. They're approximately within one or two precincts, but there are approximately 243 precincts in Fairfax County. And each precinct will probably have 10 to 12 election officers involved in order to, in essence, check you in, provide monitoring, making sure the ballots get fed properly into the machines, et cetera. Speaking of machines, there are 1,125 machines in Fairfax County. They were acquired in 2014, which was after I retired. When uh, I first started, the county was still using those very large uh, half-ton machines where you pull the lever and the curtain closes and you push the tabs, etc., The machines the county has now is, I would say, sort of the third generation. These machines, in essence, read ballots that are uh, marked and then they're fed into a machine. And that way you have a paper record as well as a digital uh, record. The county has two kinds of machines. One is essentially uh, where you feed the ballot in. The other one is for ADA purposes which is a touch pad kind of machine, mm-hmm. which can in turn generate a ballot which gets fed into a machine. But that's to make sure that if somebody is disabled and you have to take polling out to the car, they have an ability to record their vote, et cetera. Right. But logistically, you've gotta be able to store these machines. Mm-hmm. And so you get uh, the county's warehouse involved. They've gotta be stored in a secure area in the warehouse you got to maintain the batteries that function uh, within these machines, et cetera. So there's sort of a logistical piece to that. My successor needs to make sure that they have space from which to operate and all the support that's implied with that. It's more logistical because the policy is adopted, in essence, by the state. In fact, the Virginia General Assembly had a special session after their regular session this year, in which they took up a number of amendments to voting. Among other things, there is what's called no-excuse absentee in Virginia now. They authorize lock boxes so that people can drop ballots off. Effective, I think this year, though it might be next year, the first Tuesday in November is now a state holiday. Now, in many communities like Fairfax County, since many schools are actually balloting locations, the schools are closed, but uh, the state's making it a holiday. In fact, they exchanged this for Lee Jackson Day, which, for Uh understanding uh, political reasons, is no longer a holiday in the state of Virginia. The role that I played was essentially to make sure that the uh, Office of Elections was supported because the policy and how they proceed is essentially determined by a three-member board of elections office, which consists of essentially two Democrats currently and one republic. The party affiliation is determined by the party affiliation of the governor. So if the governor is Democratic, it means that uh, two of the seats on the electoral board are Democrat and one is Republican. And if the governor becomes Republican, that obviously switches. Right. There are two major players in an election office. One is the registrar who is appointed by the electoral board. And the registrar is essentially, as the title indicates, responsible for making sure that the registration of voters occurs appropriately. The um, board consists of a chairman, a vice chairman, and a secretary. The interesting thing is the secretary is the power on the board. And the secretary, in essence, oversees sort of the policy decisions. For example, where are precincts going to be located and how are they set up? And uh, that guidance is provided by the state. But the precincts have to be approved by the board supervisors. And so the secretary is responsible for getting recommendations to the board of supervisors on where precincts should be located. And there's guidance about what's appropriate for a precinct location and what's not. And again, the role of the county executive and the county really is to support uh, the requirements of the electoral board as well as the registrar.
1: Well, I love your discussion of the county manager's role here as a logistician because that appeals to my old army logistician background, but your linking of the people and the tools and the places and all of that, it becomes a very complex integration challenge. And so I want to kind of follow up on that. You know, the long lines for early voting in Fairfax County made national news uh, a week or so ago. Um, So it sounds like the counties made pretty good provisions for the COVID environment to make sure that they can meet the requirements of the voting process. What comes after that, though, is counting the votes. So how confident are you or how confident should we generally be in counties' abilities to deal with what's probably a really high turnout, a large number of mailed ballots, perhaps a really high um, in-person counts How confident are you that Fairfax County in this case, or counties in general, are going to be able to count the votes in a timely manner?
0: One challenge would be the definition of timely. I'm confident about Fairfax County's ability, in part because uh, the county has had good experience in the past in terms of dealing with large elections. Turnout during a presidential election year, about 85 percent, certainly more than 80 percent of those registered to vote actually vote in a presidential election in Fairfax County. I've heard estimates this year that it might be between 85 and 90 percent of registered voters will actually vote. It's complicated. Obviously, COVID complicates it. You're correct. The county did show up on national news when they uh, had the first day of early voting that line was a little deceptive because depending on the angle that you took, uh, people were social distancing. So the line looked a lot longer, but there weren't as many people as I think people thought there were. Uh, <laughs> but I do know some folks who actually got in that line and they, they said it took two hours to get through the line and, and to uh, actually vote. And some of that was because of COVID, there's social distancing within the voting place. So you can only have so many people in the room. They've got to be social distanced, et cetera. So you can't stack people up the way people historically have stacked up sometimes. Right. So far, I've been told that the county has sent out in an excess of 180,000 absentee ballots when in the last uh, election in 2018, there was 54,000 total. Wow. So you're getting a sense already of the level of interest. My wife and I are going to vote sometime after October 14th. There's a one-week period where they're expanding early voting from one location to multiple locations. We figure that the rush will be over, and because there are multiple locations, it'll probably be easier to get in and to get out. But we're interested in voting in person. COVID obviously has complicated that, but from what I've been told, the county has taken all the precautions in terms of, again, a logistics of making Mm -hmm. sure there's hand sanitizer and social distancing stickers and all the other things that people are getting accustomed to now, monitors to make sure people are wearing masks, et cetera. So I'm not anticipating a real problem, in part because of volume and the timing of things I think Fairfax will probably know late Tuesday night, generally, how the elections turned out at Fairfax. But I think the country, I hope, is prepared to sit on its hands for several days because I think some states, for example, are not allowed to count ballots until after the close of polling on Election Day. And I'm talking about absentee ballots. So if, you know, 40 or 50 percent of the people who voted voted absentee, you can't start feeding those ballots in until, you know, after the polls close, you're, you're not going to know the answer that night. I'm concerned because, unfortunately, we have a candidate who's uh, trying very hard to uh, confuse people about what's going on with the election.
1: Well, it sounds like with your experience, you're confident, though, that the folks on the ground know what they're doing and have the ability to manage this in a fair and and trustworthy fashion. I just want to know, as we wrap up, what will you be watching on Election Day that will give you the confidence the system is working the way it should?
0: Well, I'd, I'd be looking at two things. One, I'll probably be interested in how things turned out in Fairfax. Otherwise, I'm probably going to be sitting on my hands and not paying a whole lot of attention until at least 24 or 48 hours later, because I don't, Mm -hmm. quite frankly, I don't think we're going to know what's going on with the election. You you certainly won't with the Western states, and those states that are not allowed to count until the very end uh, are going to be handicapped. I mean, in Virginia, you can tabulate absentee ballots on the machine. You can't disclose and you can't know what those results are, but you can be running that so that when it comes time to actually tally, you're able to figure that out pretty quickly. But that's not true in every state.
1: Well, Tony, thanks so much for sharing your story and your perspectives on this really important process that we're about to embark on as a country. And for giving us some confidence, based on your experience, that the folks who run this as a profession at the local level really do have a handle on making sure it runs fairly and equitably, and we can have confidence in that. So thanks so much for joining us today.
0: Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you.
1: If you're interested in learning more about voting, the election, and democracy, head to NapaWash.org, where you can learn more about the grand challenges in public administration check out our research on one of our grand challenges in particular, protecting electoral integrity and enhancing voter participation. Again, that's napawash.org. Thanks for listening.